0: Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer and broadcaster. And down through the years, one of my great delights is, if not presenting radio programmes about the music I love, then being asked to discuss it on someone else's radio show. What follows is one such clip of myself and Mike Murphy, Ireland's greatest art show presenter ever, discussing something I wrote about during my 10-year tenure with the Irish Times. You see, during that decade, the 1990s, I also happen to be the popular music correspondent for the art show on RTÉ Radio 1 and both that station and the Irish Times like to see themselves as the radio station and newspaper of record, respectively. These programme segments and sometimes full shows would usually occur after Mike read an article I wrote and phoned me to appear on the programme or after I myself would recommend an item that might be of interest to our listeners and even provide a script, around which Mike and I would happily improvise. By the way, if you want to read some of the articles I wrote about music, the arts and popular culture in general, plus politics, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.
1: But first, the songs of Fred Astaire. Joe Jackson is in studio with me. Joe, the last time we were together, I just asked you, would you keep an eye out for something on Fred Astaire? because. I was thinking about people like Irving Berlin, who said he'd rather have Astaire sing his songs than anyone else, and also a number of other very highly regarded singers who have said they regard Astaire as one of the best singers of his or any other time. Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, I was also
0: listening to what I did find was, and uh, you referred to those classic texts that are available for 60 pence. The CDs I found are only about £4.50 to £4.99 in stores. And why they're unusual is they're called uh, the Movie Star Collection Songs. And I picked the Astaire because you asked me to chase him down, but there are also collections available from Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, and what's different about them is they're directly mastered from the movie soundtracks. So uh, I heard the Dean Martin one and uh, it's a bit tedious at points because dialogue comes in over the songs. In the Astaire collection that doesn't happen, but it's the fragments of the movies as people would have seen them back in the uh, 30s and 40s. Yeah. So this CD from Fred Astaire is, uh, goes right back to the original recordings 1928 of a Berlin song like Putting on the Ritz, which I think we should open Yeah, I think, and what I find interesting about that take, because I hadn't heard it, was that uh, in the movie, or in the version we most know, he sings uh, Where Fashion Sits. Uh, Let's go Where Fashion Sits, but in that he he sings Where Harlem Sits, which to me gives a better sense of where Tap comes from, that he was taking it out of black culture and he was influenced by Bojangles and all those black dancers. So that lyric there is far more true. And he talks about other elements of black culture that when the movie version came out, they're all gone, you know? So that's why, yes, it's totally, and and, and stylistically and vocally, he had yet to define the persona, which defined
1: how he then sang the songs. Okay. So what, what, what did that persona eventually become? Was it that he hit the notes as he saw them or as the composer saw them? Sinatra (laughs) would take songs and make his own of them. Isn't that right? Yeah, I think what
0: the difference is Sinatra and someone like Billie Holiday, and I've applied the line to both, is that they deconstruct a song and remake it in their own image, mostly emotionally. Like the, Sinatra imposes his life into the lyrics, so you have to hear a, a, the Ava Gardner story. Fred Astaire does not do any of that. And I think but what Berlin said, and you, you mentioned a, a part of the quote was, he said he's not just a great dancer, he's a great singer of songs, he's as good as Jolson, Crosby or Sinatra. He's as good a singer as he's a dancer, not because of his voice, but because of his conception of projecting a song. You give him a song and he sings it as you wrote it. So I think it's his allegiance to the purity of rhythmic line and melodic line and lyric without putting himself in there. He's almost egoless, and he also rhythmically. He is so precise. It's unbelievable. The way he will casually drop in a quip, a spoken quip or whatever. He always hits it right on the beat, which is not surprising. When you accept how magnificent a dancer he was. Yeah, uh, he was a perfectionist, and that was
1: it, wasn't
0: it? Well, I heard I heard he was quite a merciless uh, taskmaster in relation to, I've seen documentaries on him, how he would work people through the Christmas holidays and Ginger Rogers' feet could be bleeding, but he would say, We, we stay another four hours until we get it right. And I would imagine in the recording studio, he was just as yeah, merciless,
1: yeah. you know? What are we going to hear now?
0: Well, I'd like to bet, yeah, one thing I noticed, he's, uh, I hadn't realized this again until I was researching last night. Some of the earliest Academy Award winning songs were nearly all the stairs from the Continental, the Carioca, Cheek to Cheek, and The Way You Look Tonight. which uh, And he also, I didn't know this, maybe it didn't happen over here, but he had a number one single, like he was Top of the Pops in 1937 with uh, They Can't Take That Away From Me. For 11 weeks he kept all the others uh, off the top of the charts and I just, you don't perceive of, so that's how important he was vocally and part of everyone's everyday culture. But I think one part of it, and I remember my mom saying they used to go see his movies and she could never take him seriously as a romantic balladeer because of his looks, that he didn't have the, the He-Man or the kind of Errol Flynn or whatever it was looks. And funnily enough, I saw that when he did a screen test, because he had been a stage artist in London and on Broadway with his sister Adele before he tried to become a movie star, and he was turned away. The first, the most, the first note left about Astaire's screen test was, uh, can't sing, hair receding, can dance a little. Yeah. And and then he got his, and then he went into flying down to Rio. But I think actually he epitomises romance when he does a song like uh, "The Way You Look Tonight."
1: Now he he added a kind of a conversational quality to his singing. He would put in "Ah, but you're lovely." Yeah, yeah. Was that a good or a bad thing? Do you think? Well, I think uh, no. I think the whole tone of his singing is conversational.
0: But that "Oh, but you're lovely" would have been written by Dorothy Fields uh, on on the melody. And what it does is it breaks, which he would have found very attractive it breaks a a potentially monotonous rhythmic pattern by throwing in, oh, but you're lovely, instead of, but you're lovely, da-da-da, da-da-da. That actually does give a boat B. And it also, the whole song, it's it's a wonderful lyric because it's a song that looks back on love before love is born. So it has that lovely duality to it, which I think, again, is a stare. Mm. You know, he's almost, he has the kind of debonair, sophisticated, I'm romantic, but I'm removed from romance. It's like Bogart. Mm. I'm outside this, but I'm in there in the
1: middle. You know, so those two sides of it, I think, are wonderful. You choose wonderful. as one of the best of mm-hmm. Astaire, what you just said there, Gershwin's, it's wonderful. Why is that? Well, I,
0: I, I originally bought this um, on a vinyl set about 10 years ago, and I think it's not just because it's the best of Astaire, it's also the best of Porter, Berlin, the Gershwins, and all the classic Tin Pan Alley songwriters of that time. But mostly I love it because of the, uh, the music, the sense of musical symbiosis between Oscar Peterson, Charlie Shavers, Barney Kessel, and uh, a stare. It was the idea was put together by Norman Grants, who had put together the Ella Fitzgerald songbooks and all that stuff, jazz based, jazz at the Philharmonic concerts they were doing. And in 1952, he put a stare in the studio with six fantastic jazz musicians, and they deconstructed and reconstructed. And the 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 vinyl set has been just has been reissued on CD. It has jazz raps. It has blues raps. It has taps. It has, taps, it has dance and it has this wonderful, uh, is wonderful recording where you can hear how his voice comes in just as one more instrument on top of Barney's guitar after Alvin Stahlberg's drums. It's a beautiful mix. <laughs>
1: All right, there he is now with wonderful and a terrific recording. I Absolutely. agree with you. And when you do point out things to listen to, it does make it all the more worthwhile. Well, it's an uh, astounding collection, 37 songs, all the same quality. Like all the same. Stuff. It's a oh, good yeah. collection. Everything about it is perfect. All right. What is the title, by the way, of the It's called The Astaire
0: Story, mm-hmm. okay. a double CD. And what's really cute about it and what we can fade out on is Astaire comes in now and then to explain some of the songs. And he, at this point, and we can't uh, talk about Fred Astaire without at least having a fragment of Top Hat, White Tie, and yes. Tails, and Fred. Joe Jackson, thank you. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. And don't forget, if you want to read any of my articles, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.